Hi, Chris Felton here. Welcome to my podcast where we hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. Over the next several months, we're going to take a journey through the years of messages that I've spoken in the last decade that are both memorable, monumental, and I think marking to both me and the global family. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. God bless you. Hi, everybody. We just got back from Disneyland a few days ago. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't like Disneyland. People are like, I didn't know you liked Disneyland. I'm like, I, I don't like Disneyland. I like being married. <laughs> and all the men said, amen, Absolutely. Uh, people call Bethel Church Disneyland all the time. I think our enemies call us that first. And so when I, we went to Disneyland, I'm like, this is a lot like Bethel Church. I mean, the animals are friendly. People come here for the experience, not to look at the pictures or read the quotes. The rides are fun. The lines are long. People are nice. Everyone has their ears on. <laughs> There's lots of rides. It's a little bit like heaven on earth. They both have pirates. The lines are long. You meet some characters. Both places. The atmosphere is not controlled by the world around them. The place is full of beautiful princes and princesses. They keep adding new adventures. They're both magical. There's something for everybody. There's something for everybody. <laughs> and it's the happiest place on earth. So, I, I, and there's probably some more things. I started out with 10 things on my Facebook page, and I thought of some more while we were walking around the park. I'm like, oh, there's the characters. Oh, we have characters. There's the ears. We have ears. He that has ears, let, let him hear. This morning. So, yeah, so that was... Uh, so we, we had fun. Um, I, I we're supposed to do this. Uh, if you're having night terrors, panic attacks, uh, anything, irrational fears, irrational kind of thoughts, uh, would you stand up? I have so many people this week texting me, writing me, Facebooking me, like, is there something in the air? I'm like, well, let's take it out of the air. If you have that going on, just stand up, please. If you're afraid to stand up, that's you. <laughs> like I'm not dealing with irrational fear. I am not standing up, and people, everyone's gonna know. Everybody's know I'm gonna I, that I, I my life isn't perfect. I'm oh my god, oh my god, that person's standing. Oh no. No, on a serious note, if that's you, would you stand? This morning I woke up and I I felt uh, I'll just say I don't use this language very often. I felt commissioned by the Lord that we were to break this thing over our family. So. So you can just extend your hands to these folks. I know that everybody understands what it is to be afraid. So these guys aren't alone. So Lord, we just right now, we just break the power of the spirit of fear that has terrorized our friends and our family. In the name of Jesus, we cancel this assignment and we rip up your contract, Colossians 1. 
we cancel this 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 uh, this purpose that you have against these people, and Lord, and we release. You said you have not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And so, Lord, we we release the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, and it guards our hearts and it guards our minds in Christ Jesus. And we release the love of God that casts out all fear. And we say, you are, you are loved. All of you that are standing, all of you in the room, but we say to those who are standing especially, you are adored. You are loved by the Father. You are, you are, you are sought out by the Lord himself. And Lord, we just release this love word, that love would saturate them and would drive out all fear in them. In Jesus' name. And we say, you're going to sleep all night. You're gonna, your, your sleep is going to be peace. David said, the, the sleep of the righteous is peace. And so we release shalom, peace to you in Jesus' name. And we say to you, as brothers and sisters, as, as fellow members of the body, we say to you, don't be afraid. We are with you. God is with you. And, and this, and this thing is breaking today in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Just bless the Lord for that. And we just take one more minute just to pray. If you just grab hands, I always like to pray for, I, I need prayer, powered by prayer here. Lord, we just, we pray today that you would put our ears on and that you would give us revelation that would really, really help to establish us and, and give us momentum. Amen. I want to talk to you about cultures that cultivate world changers. And um, this is probably a common, a very common theme for us and a very common theme for me. So probably you're going to hear um, quite a bit of repeat. But I really felt this is what I was supposed to share on today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, I got back from, um, a, uh, we were, I was gone for 17 days in four countries. And um, I, I never look, in fact, it frustrates the heck out of my whole team. I don't look at tomorrow's calendar till I go to bed the night before. I, so I never know when I'm, I know my whole team thinks I'm crazy, but so I was like, how do you keep in peace? I don't think about tomorrow until I get to tomorrow because I figure that tomorrow there'll be enough grace for tomorrow. But when I look at tomorrow with today's grace, it's always overwhelming because I'm constantly growing. That's what I believe. So, so a con- and I, I know that's probably not, Maybe I've spiritualized my brokenness. But anyway, I like it. Leave me alone. So a couple of days, or the, the day after I got home, I looked at my calendar, and, and, my, and Kathy you know, looks at my calendar like a week ahead, and she tries to tell me, you know, this on Thursday. I'm like, no, no, don't talk to me. I don't look ahead unless it's prophetic. If it's on my schedule... It's not prophetic. It's a word of knowledge. Words of knowledge, they scare the bejeevers out of me. <laughs> and so we kind of synergized in this morning. Uh, and she's like, you know, tomorrow the, um, the team from Bethel Media is coming over and they're going to take pictures of us. She didn't say it like that. She goes, they're coming over to take pictures of us. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember now. I put that on the calendar like a month ago because I'm doing this new blog, this website and a new blog in there. They're like, well, we need photographs, everything, you know. You have a Photoshop picture of you when you were 40. You know, that's on your website. And then people see you and like, whoa, you've seen the Lord. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, 
So we were, so we were kind of, and we have this rule in our house. We, we actually set this rule about 39 years ago. We've been married 40 years. It's just July 19th. It's our 40th anniversary, which is why we were in Busyland, by the way. And uh, so we have this rule that we made up. It was kind of a joke when we made it up, but then it became like real. You ever have those things like they're funny and then they're like, oh, this was the Lord. And, and we have this, this deal that we say, if one of us, one of the two of us get up, if, if one of the two of us are down, the other person has to be up. So if you want to be down, you have to get up early before the other person because whoever gets up first and is down the other person has to be up so a lot of times if I want to be down like I write a note like 3 o'clock in the morning I was up this morning and I was down <laughs> so when you wake up you got to be up because I'm already I got up early and took the down spot so it isn't very often that we both get down because we've always had this kind of started out as a joke but we kind of had this we kind of had this developed in rule so so, but we got up this morning, this and the day of we're gonna take pictures, and she's like, "Today's the day we're taking pictures." I'm like, "Yeah, no, taking pictures sucks. I hate taking pictures." And she's like, "Yeah, me too." And we, for some reason, like we broke our own rule, and we evil started to synergize in our bedroom. We're like, "Oh man, we're taking pictures. I hate taking pictures. I know I look so fat. I have nothing to wear." Huh? <laughs> so we're kind of doing that in the morning. So we finished our day, and they. They're supposed to come over at 6 o'clock, so we're like, you know, we're home at 5 and coming over our house, and they're like, oh, they're coming over at 6 o'clock. I'm like, yeah, you need to change. I know, I know. I go take a shower and find something that makes me look skinny. Well, yeah, maybe, my, you know, have you thought about it? No, I haven't thought about using one of those things. <laughs> what do they call it? Like a girdle or something? I just practice sucking in in front of the... How do you suck in and still smile? You know, I look like goofy. So, uh, so we're kind of doing that, and you know, like, okay, what are you gonna wear? And da da da. What are you gonna wear? I'm like, oh, that doesn't look good. I'm, I don't know. Nothing looks good on me. I'm just, just oh, I hate taking pictures. So, like, the hour before, she's like, they're here in an hour, and I'm like, yeah. Well, it was like we should have just been playing, you know. I'm a loser. I'm not what I appear to be, you know, or some kind of funeral song because we were like, we're totally into like. Hey, do not make me feel good about this. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so the Bethel Media comes over, team, three of them, and it's a young, hippie-looking guy and two of his friends. And <laughs> then they knock at the door, and she's like, they're at the door. I'm like, yeah, I know. She's like, well, it's your deal. They're at the door. <laughs> so I go to the door, answer the door. She's sitting on the couch, still mourning. And I opened the door. Hi, guys. Hi. How you doing? Yeah, good. I'm doing good. Liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, you know how that. Yeah, I'm supposed to be doing good. I'm the pastor. You know, you're at my house taking pictures. Oh, we brought you strawberries and chocolate. You like strawberries? Yeah, yeah. I do. Hey, they brought strawberries and chocolate. All right. So they're like, oh, it's, oh, oh. And I had, you know, I just put a shirt on. That shirt, ah, oh, all three of them. Like, I don't know if they were like, practice this or like, <laughs> I'm serious. They're like, that shirt looks amazing on you. It goes with your eyes. Eyes are brown. I mean, everything goes with brown, right? <laughs> I mean, I've never thought like looking in the store like. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, those. That shirt is, oh, and then all three of them, like, you know, where two or three are gathered, they started doing that. 
So I'm like, thank you, you know. So then Kathy comes, she's, she comes up and they're like, oh, that looks so good on you. You look so good. And I'm thinking, what, whatever. Do you ever have a whatever attitude? <laughs> whatever. You know, I, I'm not saying it. I'm like, thank you, whatever. <laughs> you get paid to say that to me, you know? So they're like, oh, we'll look around and find some places for you to take photos. I'm like, yeah, great, you know, make yourself at home. So they're looking around the yard, and we're sitting on the couch like, oh, well, we could eat the strawberries, you know? But then we look fatter, you know? (laughs) Eat the strawberries after the picture, you know? You look fatter. So finally, after about 20 minutes, they come in. They're like, hey, we found some places outside to take pictures, so... We go out there and, you know, we're, we're, so they're like, you know, you know how it goes. Like, put your hand, oh, can you move your hand just a little? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm still in like, whatever. Can you smile? No, can you not as big? <laughs> can you do this with her? I'm not feeling it, you know? I'm not feeling romantic right now. I'm going to Disneyland next week, you know? So, the, so they're like, three cameras. And, and, they're, and they're looking in the screens, and as they're shooting, they're oh, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm serious. And they're like, they're, I don't know if they plan this or what they do, but they're like some kind of ministry they do. And they keep looking at this little screen, and they're like, that is amazing. And, the, and, and one of them says, you should be models. The two of you, you're like models. I'm thinking, oh, old fat guy. So I'm thinking, and so we do this, so, you know, and then after about 50 pictures, at least 50, they're like, you, you got to look at these pictures. So I, I look at the picture, and they're like, look at that. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, that looks amazing. And I, oh, yeah? Uh, and they're like, look at this one. Look at that. Oh, that's one. I'm serious. I didn't see any of that. I'm like, all right. So they're supposed to be there for two hours. And we're sitting on the couch before that. We're like, two hours. I don't even like taking a selfie. We're going to do this for two hours. So we move different spots. And they're like, and they're I'm serious for, for two hours. They're like, that's amazing. I wouldn't change shirts. They're like, oh, man, that is beautiful. That is it. That is beautiful. I'm like, really? You like it? They're like, yeah. Oh, you know, and Kathy's all, you know, doing about an hour and 20 minutes into it, the hardness of my heart began to melt. And they'll show me, like, look at that. I'm like, that looks awesome. They're like, yeah, that looks awesome. Look at my eyes. That goes with my eyes. <laughs> so they're supposed to leave at, you know, I think uh, six. They were supposed to be done at eight. So I'm like, hey, take some pictures of me in my office. I, Kathy's like, can you come out here and take some pictures with my horses? And like the horses are in, you know, pictures on me. Horses, what? Take the pictures of the yard with the horses, you know? People won't want them. Anyway, you didn't get that. But anyway, (laughs) there's no oxen, the manger's clean. But anyway, so like they stay like another hour because we're like, hey, over here. Hey, take a picture. Let me put this on. Oh, that. I know, it's amazing. I look awesome. <laughs> they left. We're sitting on the couch, 9.15 at night. 
I look over, I said, what just happened? She's like, I don't know. I said, I need them to come and do this like weekly. <laughs> like weekly. And we're sitting there, and I woke up the next morning. It was so crazy. This is, this is true. I woke up, and I thought, this is a true story. I woke up in the morning, and I thought, man, I am looking good. <laughs> I just thought that. I wouldn't have said it to anyone, <laughs> although I just did. <laughs> but I thought to myself, I wasn't even looking in the mirror yet. I'm like, I am looking good today. <laughs> I, am good. I am looking good. And I woke up for, every, for about five days in a row thinking, man, I feel so good about myself. I'm looking good. And, and, and she's looking good. And I'm looking good. And this goes with my eyes. <laughs> There's just something about being in the presence of people who think you're beautiful. I, I'm not exactly. There it is. Now look at that shirt. Does that go with my eyes? And look at that woman. Yeah. I didn't plan that. That was those guys messing with me. Yeah, oh, you did that, huh? Yeah, that's awesome. Look at those bushes. Aren't those leaves green? I mean, just the whole world just, I mean, the whole world just smiles with you. There's just something about being around people who think you're beautiful that actually reforms the way you think about you. And when you think well about you, it's amazing how much better you do life with others when you think well of you. In America, we have this thing. I don't know if other nations have the same exact same, but I bet they have one like this. I'm having a bad hair day, right? That means I don't look good, and therefore I'm not feeling good about myself, and therefore you're probably not going to get my A game. But there's something about you when you feel good about you. There's this little thing. I don't know if you were raised with it. When I received Jesus, I was raised in the Jesus movement, and we had this thing about pride. The devil fell for pride. And I get that. I understand all of that. I mean, I really get it. I mean, that was drove into me. This is before I met Bill. It drove into me like, do not feel good about yourself because that's the way you end up in hell. <laughs> and that is humility. Okay? You don't feel good about yourself. So when someone gives you a compliment, you go, want it, me, it's Jesus. You know? So I don't know. Jesus got all the compliments. And we, when we just, did, we just actually developed a culture, I mean, it was already developed for me, where just thinking good about yourself, like even in the privacy of your own whatever home, you weren't really allowed, Bob's, you know, Bob knows, right? You weren't really allowed to think, well, I'm actually good at this. And if you said, I'm good at this because, then you had to like preface it like, I'm good at this, you know, and you had to kind of say it this way. I'm good at this because Jesus loves me and gave me all these gifts because I'm actually a crummy sinner. And if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me, but I'm good at this because he helped me with this thing, right? It's like, that was the emphasis. And like the idea that you were actually good at something, you were not allowed to say that unless you mentioned Jesus at the same exact simultaneously, like, like right after or right before. And then mention what a dog you are after you compliment yourself so everyone knows you understand you're going to hell. Because pride just got in there and messing with you. 
But there's something about actually having a good estimation of who you are and understanding where it all all came from. As Bob Jones would say, I look like my daddy. He'd go like this, I look like my daddy. (laughs) So I want to talk for a few minutes about developing cultures where people know they're beautiful. In Proverbs 22.6, I bet we can all quote this even though some of us may not know what the address is. If you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they won't depart from it. When you train up a child in the way they should go, when they should go, then when they're old, they won't depart from it. How many of you understand that there's dimensions to the way they should go? We should say, we could say, well, they, we want them to be good people, and there's this universal thought of we want our kids to be good people. But how about if we actually went beyond good people and started thinking about God people? (laughs) Like who's living in your house? What if you started to get prophetic insight into the way they should go and you, and metaphorically speaking, you start taking pictures and you start to describe to your kids what you see. You're like, you look good in that. That is amazing. I don't know. Um, about you, but uh, Proverbs is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and when my kids were um, growing up, they were supposed to read a chapter every day, and they usually didn't. (laughs) I know which chapters they missed. Anyway, uh, but do you know that Proverbs was actually the homeschool textbook of Solomon's life? Do you know that according to Chronicles 22, 6, that God told David, you will not build the temple for me. Because David said, I had this temple in my heart. I want to build it. And God says, you're a man of blood, bloodshed. I don't want a violent man making something permanent. So your son, you will have a son. His name will be Solomon. This is before Solomon was born. And he will build the temple. This permanent structure for me. So when Solomon was born and got old enough, David began to repeat the prophecy to Solomon. God said, listen, I want to build a temple. And in, in the story in First uh, Chronicles 22 is David telling his son about his history in God and telling him, I wanted to build this temple. I gathered all the money, all the materials for it. And then God said, no, you, you can't do that. But you're going to have a son, his name is going to be Solomon. And then we named you Solomon. So David has all these sons, all these wives, but he's got one son that he knows by God is going to be king. And he begins to raise him, him and Bathsheba, his mother, raise Solomon to be king. And Solomon recalls that in the Proverbs. He says this in Proverbs 6.20. My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother, repeating what his mother and father taught him. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you are awake, they'll talk to you. What's he talking about? These are the things my mother taught me. These are the things my father commanded me in. And he said, listen, these things, Solomon, you'll need these the rest of your life. Ladies, how many of you like uh, Proverbs 31? Um, I thought probably most women's favorite chapter in the Bible, or at least one of them. And it begins like this, the words of King Lemuel. I don't know if you know this, but when I wrote the book, um, Fashion to Rain book about women, empowering women, I did a study on Proverbs 31 for obvious reasons. And Lemuel actually means beloved or the one who God loves. And it was the 
It was the name that Bathsheba gave to Solomon when he was a boy. This is not a story of another king. This is the story of Solomon. And listen to what Bathsheba taught him in the first few verses of chapter 31. The the words of King Lemuel, the oracle his mother taught him. What, O my son, what of the son of my womb, what of the son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women or your ways to that which destroys kings. Why do you think she told him that? This is Bathsheba. Remember Bathsheba? What did she say to him? Do not give your, way, not, do not give your heart to women. Be careful, Solomon, because that destroys kings. How did she know that? Because the man she married committed adultery with her and killed her husband. And she begins to tell him, do not give your strength to women. It's not for kings, O Lemuel. It's not for kings to drink wine or rulers to drink strong drink, for they will drink and forget their decrees and pervert the, right, and pervert the rights of the afflicted. Let them um, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of the un- unfortunate. Open, the mouth, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. And it goes on. And you know, this is a beautiful chapter. But here's my point. How would your life change? How would the life of the people that you were around change if you saw them the way God saw them and you began to see them and you began to speak to them not as they are, but as they're called to be? One of the quotes we repeat often is Ellison Armadine's quote. She's one of our students who eventually was the editor for two, three of my books. And Ellison when she was in school ministry one time, she raised her hand and she said, she gave me this quote. She said, I love to listen to other people's prophecies. I said, you love to listen to other people's prophecies? Why? She said, so I treat them not as they are, but as God sees them and I invite them into their destiny. You know, we all need accountability in our life. But I was raised with accountability being something like someone's trying to keep you from doing something wrong. But what would happen if accountability actually meant account for your ability, not your disability? Paul Manswaring spoke some years ago and he said, he said, accountability in our culture is not making sure someone doesn't smoke, but making sure they're on fire. What would happen if I met with you to draw out the greatness in you instead of keep you from doing something wrong? What if the purpose, I'm not saying that we don't confront people. I'm saying what if the purpose of you being in my life is that you taking metaphorically, you're taking pictures of describing what you see in the screen according to the eyes of God. And suddenly I begin to see myself as you see me, which is the way God sees me. And you're... And the beauty you see, you begin to call out at me. And suddenly, or, or I wouldn't say suddenly, but in process, I become the thing you see in the screen. Yeah. Paul did this with Timothy. I want to read you some of Timothy, some of his exhortation to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.8. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is powerful for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive. How many know it's okay to strive in God? Actually mentioned six times in the New Testament. Striving is actually positive when it's in the kingdom and negative when it's out. 
Okay, well, not today's teaching. For it's for this that we labor and strive, because we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Prescribe, this is his words to Timothy, prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and purity, show yourself as an example for those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to the exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through the prophetic utterances with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed completely in them so that your progress will be evident to everyone. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do, you will ensure salvation for both yourself and those who hear you. This is Paul's exhortation to Timothy. He's at Ephesus. You know, you read the book of uh, Ephesians. Timothy is the apostle at Ephesus. He's a young man who struggles with fear. Do you know that? Paul writes to him three times about his fear. And he writes ahead to the, I believe it was to the Philippians and says, I'm sending you Timothy. Don't do anything to make him afraid. Wouldn't that be weird if, you know, I go to, you know, a church in Pennsylvania and Bill writes ahead, Charles, I'm sending you my beloved Chris. Don't do anything to scare him. (laughs) Kind of a weird way to start a conference. And Paul writes to this man who is incredibly talented but deals with fear and he says to him listen don't look down on your don't let anyone don't let other people look down on your youthfulness well that sounds prideful hey dude don't be looking down on me but show everyone the progress you're making as it relates to the scriptures that were spoken over you so god said timothy you're this And Timothy, actually, you're right here because prophecy is always about the future. And I want you to live in such a way. I want you to labor. I want you to strive. I want you to take pains with what you do every day. And Timothy, I want the people on the outside of you, around you, to see that you're progressing towards these prophecies, that you're actually fulfilling these prophecies because you believe them. This is how Timothy becomes a world changer his daddy believed in him and his daddy said hey stop being afraid God hasn't given you a spirit of fear that was written to Timothy but love power and sound mind hey those prophecies that were spoken over you you need to do something about those boy you need to start showing people that you believe them by, by laboring and striving and taking pains with those things God said you would be How many know it's not all about God? (laughs) Oh, well. I know, it didn't go over first service either. When Jesus said, I'm finished, he didn't mean you were finished. He meant he was. He's done his part. He's waiting for you to do yours. I've repeated this many times, but, you know, I think it was like somewhere around... 30 years ago, I was in the bathtub and I had this encounter with God, walked through the wall. You know, he always walks through the wall because he is the door. So he never uses the door after that because he said, I'm the door. And I'll just make this short because I've told it so many times. 
And he, and he began to talk to me about my destiny. And he said, you are going to speak to kings. I've called you to be a prophet to the nations. I was a broken man, one year out of a nervous breakdown, living in the mountains and owning a gas station. And the Lord said, I've called you to be a prophet to nations. You're going to speak to kings and mayors and governors and princes and princesses. And, and he gave me this whole word. He's lasted half an hour. It was, wasn't just a word. It was an experience. I saw him with my eyes. I'm sure it was a vision. I saw him with my eyes. And when the vision was over, when the, when the Lord finished speaking to me, he turned away and his back towards me and he stopped and he turned back to me and he pointed right to me and he said, and history will tell us if you believe me. It was the first time I ever realized that I had something to do with what he said. I understood at that moment, not theologically, but I understood that there's sovereignty and there's free will and somehow they homogenize in my life. That God had a plan for me, but he was saying, when you're dead, we'll look over the plan and we'll see if you actually believed me, if you actually did anything about what I said to you. And I'd like to suggest that we all need in our life people who can speak into our hearts. I've shared this message a while back, but I've been so taken by the person of Barnabas in the Bible. I, I, I don't know exactly why. Um, I think it's because Bill's been a Barnabas in my life, and Kathy's been a, a Barnabas in my life. She's spoken into my life, believed in me. I, I married the person who believed in me. So people say, why did, did you fall in love with Kathy? I was 15. I fell in love with Kathy because she believed in me before I believed in me. And I love Bill for lots of reasons now, but he believed in me before I believed in me. And I think that everybody needs someone that can go, you are beautiful. And you're like, I don't know, I'm not feeling beautiful. No, you are beautiful. And every time you're around them, they remind you of how God sees you. It's like being with Abby all the time. How many of you guys have experienced Abby? I know. She texts me, and I'm like, I see one from Abby. I'm like, oh, what am I today? I'm beautiful, I'm amazing, I'm a father, I'm a mother, a sister, a brother, a bride of Christ. I mean, I'm everything. You are everything. And, you know, I exalt me. Whoa, I'm joking. It's just something about hanging out with people who believe in you. And I'm convinced that many of us are just one person away from being amazing. We're just one person away from someone. I mean, I, I was thinking about Barnabas. Let me just finish that because I'm off track. Saul, in New Testament Saul, he's persecuting the church. He is the ISIS of the first century. They broke into homes, drug Christians out. And stoned him to death. Some commentaries say that he was responsible for tens of thousands of Christians' death. He was the ISIS of the first century. He's going along, heading for another city to kill more Christians. And he has this encounter. And you know the encounter well. He ends up on the ground. And he hears the audible voice and sees a a, a light. And the voice says to, to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who... Who would you be, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then, G- then the voice says, I want you to go to this place. I want you to stay there. And he blinds him, as you know. He ends up in this city. And in the meantime, 
a man, a, a disciple named Ananias has an encounter with God. And God says to Ananias, he's just a disciple. He's nobody famous. He's just one of the guys in the church. Ring a bell? And the Lord says to Ananias, hey, I want you to go to Saul's house. And I want you to tell him. I want you to give him this prophecy. And he goes, ha, Saul? Oh, no, most wanted ISIS man. No. And the Lord says to him, no, no, he's your brother. And I want you to tell him these things. He's going to speak to kings. He's going to speak to Gentiles. He's going to suffer for my name. This is what I want you to tell him. And I want you to lay hands on him, and he's going to see. Well, in the meantime, while the Lord's talking to Ananias, he's giving Saul the same message. And he's saying to Saul, there's a guy named Ananias. I told him to come see you. He's going to pray for you. You're going to see. He's going to give you this prophecy. He ends up at the right address because he has a Sean Boltz kind of word of knowledge. He ends up at the right address, right time. And he says to Saul, this is awesome. He says, Brother Saul, how many know between the first encounter and the second encounter, something changed? He looked through the lens. Are you with me? He began to look through the lens. Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to you. To pray for you that you might receive your sight and that you might know that he's called you to speak to kings and to speak to Gentiles. Obviously Saul, he's a pretty driven personality as you can probably figure out through reading his books. He immediately turns to the Lord. Radical, you know, he's radical for the devil. Now he's radical for God. And he begins to try to preach. And of course, everyone's terrified of him. They think... He's trying to get into the small meetings and expose more people and kill more people. So nobody wants anything to do with them, especially the apostles. So I love this verse. It's chapter 9, verse 26. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. I love these two words, but Barnabas. (laughs) I don't know why I cry every time I read that. But Barnabas took a hold of him. And brought him to the apostles. And told the apostles all the things that had happened to him. And how he'd seen the Lord. And for the next five chapters. Which represents around five years. It says and Barnabas and Saul went here. And Barnabas and Saul were sent here. And Barnabas and Saul were sent there. And then about five chapters into the book of Acts. About five years into their relationship. His name is changed to Paul. And it's mentioned first. And Paul and Barnabas. And now Paul and Barnabas are going from here, going there, going all over, and it's Paul and Barnabas. They plant churches all over Asia, and they take this young man named Mark with him, who is actually Barnabas' cousin. And by the way, Barnabas is not his real name. It's the name the apostles gave this young man because he was their abbey. He was their, look at this, it was so amazing. They finally changed his name to Barnabas. His real name's only, his given name's only mentioned once in the entire Bible. And so Barnabas takes Mark and Paul and they plant all these churches and Mark gets afraid and runs off. And several years later, Paul says, hey, let's go back and visit the churches we planted and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wants to take Mark and Paul refuses. And Paul's like, no, I'm not taking it. He's a chicken. He's a coward. He can't come with us. And they, they said, the Bible records that the The conversation, the argument was so intense that they actually split. And Barnabas took Mark and went one way. And Paul took Silas and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, and went another way. We don't know what happened with Barnabas because the writer of Acts went with, of course, with Paul. At the end of Paul's life, towards the last few years of his life, he's old. 
I think he's just out of prison, and he writes, send me Mark. He's good for service. Barnabas never writes a book of the Bible, but he mentors Paul, who writes 13 epistles. And I don't know if you realize this, he mentors Mark, who writes the Gospel of Mark. If it wasn't for Barnabas, 14 books of the New Testament would not be there. I have a feeling that most of us are just one Barnabas away from changing the world. We just need a Barnabas. We just need a son or a daughter of encouragement that says, hey, this is what you look like. Oh, that looks awesome on you. You're amazing. You know, most of us spend, I don't know, a half an hour to an hour every morning getting ready. We're fixated with impressing people. All of us. I mean, most of us wouldn't come to this room without combing our hair, taking a shower, putting on some deodorant at least. It's nothing wrong, glad. I mean, you know, I'm offering a God a fragrant aroma is a lot better than some of the meetings I've been in. But what would happen if we took five minutes a day to build the kingdom within us and prepare ourselves to be a Barnabas to someone else? Jason, my son's our main counselor here, and he's, he, he has all these things he does with people to help them. He gives them homework. And one of the things he does is whatever the main points are in the counseling session, he has them write that on their mirror in erasable, what do you call it, you know, felt pen. So that when they look in the mirror every morning, they're reminding themselves of who they are. What if you get, what if you went home today and you wrote, I am a world changer. No, how about this? You are looking at a world changer. (laughs) It's time for you to be fully actualized. So that you could be to the world what the world is waiting for. What would happen if you found someone that you could be a Barnabas. Or how about this? How many ladies love Esther? Ladies, come on, please. You love Esther. Come on, there's no woman in here that don't like Esther. You don't like Esther, you're not even a Christian. I like Esther and I'm not even a woman. No, nothing to, you know, meant to demean Esther, but how many know if there's no Mordecai, there ain't no Esther. And is it possible, ladies, that you just need a Mordecai? Men, is it possible you're supposed to be one? <laughs> uh oh. Hey, hey, don't be messing with my marriage. <laughs> How many know people are changed through observation, not through argument? Several years ago, I, I read um, this book, John Maxwell's book, Developing the Leader Within You. How many of you read that book? If you haven't, you should read that book. Even if you don't want to be a leader, seriously. It is an excellent book. All of our teams read that book. And there's a story in there. It's on page 99 of Developing the Leader Within You. Of this school, a very large school, and they wanted to do this experiment about the expectations of people. And so they took all the teachers in the school, or all the teachers, I think, in a, in a grade, 
and they put all the names of the teachers in a hat, and they drew out one name, just randomly drew out a name. And then they took all the, t- all the s- students in this particular, I think it was in a class, but evidently there were several of the same class. They put them all in the hat, and they drew out like 25 or 30 students, just randomly. Then they told the teacher, hey, you're a special teacher, and we've given you these special students for you to teach for one year, and we want to see what happens when we take the special teacher and the special students and put them together. So the teacher told the students, you have been, you have been drawn, no, you have been selected as the top students in our school to be trained by the top teacher. At the end of the year, the results came back, and I forget the results, but they were dramatically better, something like 25% better than everyone else. This, this class, this graduating class of that year, their scores were like 25% better than anyone else's in the school. So they called the teacher in, they said, Here, here's the scores, your students performed 25%, 22% better than anyone else in the school. And he said, wow, that's a tribute to my teaching ability. He said, no, we have a little thing to tell you. The truth is, we put all the teacher's names in the hat and we drew you out randomly. He said, well, he said, well, that must be a tribute to the students you gave me. He said, no, no, actually, we put all the students' names in a hat and we drew 25 of them out randomly. And the teacher said, well, then why did the students perform significantly better than anyone else in the school? He says, because you expected them to and they expected themselves to. See, this is what Barnabas, this is what Mordecai, this is what a son of encouragement, a daughter of encouragement does. It come along, they go, have you seen this? You look awesome in that. You should wear all oh, your eyes. This is a metaphor, you're with me. You're like, there's something about people who think you're beautiful before you do. There's something about being around people who think you're amazing before you think you're amazing. And there's something about, here we go, last point. There's something about a culture that lets you feel amazing. Here it is, right here. Here's the probably main point. I'm giving 35 seconds to it. There's something about a culture that lets you feel amazing without apologizing or thinking you're going to fall over the pride, flat earth, and end up in hell because you think your hair looks good today and you think you have a gift. And you think you look like Jesus, and you have confidence, and you're taking pains in these things, and you're saying, hey, watch my progress, and don't look down on me. I may be young, but I'm awesome. See these prophecies? How am I doing? Prophecy? See some progress? It's because I'm working hard at it. No, no, wait, 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 listen. I got the prophecy, but I'm working hard at it. I'm striving, I'm laboring, I'm taking pains because I want you to see my progress. You know why I'm doing that? So you could see my progress. I'm progressing. Not because I got a word. That part is given. He's finished. But the reason why I'm progressing is because I did something about what he said. And it's okay to feel good about the fact that I took him at his word and I did something about what he said. And by the way, I'm in a, with a group of people. They keep reminding. When I, when I kind of slack off, they go, hey, hey, let's give you an account for your ability, buddy. And here's your ability. It's way up here. And you're be, listen, you're behaving below your identity. Way up here. Walk in the high call of God in Christ Jesus. You can't walk in the high call and feel bad about yourself. Come on, just be real. It's time to find a Barnabas, and it's time to be one. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have those people from Bethel Media over every week. I got pictures of horses and bugs and stuff. I'm gonna have them take pictures of them. Throw a few my way while they're there. Would you stand? I wanna pray for you all. Put your hand on your heart. Say this, I'm a world changer. I was born to make disciples of all nations. I'm nobility, I'm royalty. I was made in the image of God. I was made in the likeness of God. And I was made to be Christ-like. When I'm acting like God, I'm being myself. Because I was called to be an imitator of God. And therefore, I am determined to become all that God says that I am. With his help, with his grace, and with all you all, your help, I'll be everything I'm supposed to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.